0: Welcome to One of Two Hundred. We're back, episode one nine nine, on the uh, on the precipice of greatness. We have a bright future ahead of us. Um, we're looking off into the distant sun of success and glaring, glaring angrily at it with our with our sunglasses on. You're here with the the OG three. It's Philip, Kyle, and Bronco. How are you doing, Bronco? Oh,
1: great, great. How are you guys going?
0: Oh, definitely awake. So that's positive. How are you doing, Kyle? <laughs> Yeah. good everyone. I am good. Yeah, I'm good. Positive, positive. This is 1 of 200, the New Zealand media and politics podcast. We love talking about stuff. So we're going to kick off by Kyle talking about some impartiality stuff because I feel like he's been thinking about it more than, more than most of us and honestly has made some pretty good picks and predictions recently that I think we will have to give it to we all have to give it up for Kyle. Some of his recent, some of his recent predictions turned out pretty good. That didn't look it weren't they weren't inevitable. You should take some credit, Kyle. You're allowed to do a victory lap. You know, I feel it does feel bad because I felt like this was
2: it was so clear that this was going to be the result um, of the Rob Campbell stuff around like getting him to well firing him asking him to resign and then firing him from a, a couple of roles for some linkedin comments that weren't even related to his area his areas always had a, a very high potential of turning into a, a rolling mall, uh, as they say and continuing to feed a media cycle in a way that a lot of the people who were pro the labor response to it uh seem to think uh was strong enough and like showing enough leadership to, to nip it in the bud but that's just not how the media in this country operates and it's not how the right wing in this country operates and you know we in particular as a as a media organization have for almost five years of, of following this um i've been watching the media for 30 odd years now and the evidence is, has all been there. You could go back and and show the ways in which this works if you were so inclined uh, to do a media review. But I I was just astounded at the number of people who were unwilling to entertain the idea that this would become more of an albatross around the necks of uh, Hipkins and Beryl than just brushing under carpet. And, and that's not to say that there wasn't something to address here um, or that, Campbell is
0: a, a good bloke um who is impartial. Look, it I doesn't matter, right? No, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. That's it what we talked matter. about last I, time. Like, it's not about Rob Campbell. This is about like how the state sector relates to like capital P politicians. Like that's the relationship that we need to think about and how power is exercised in that in that manner. But it looks like you were right that it was like the thin end of the wedge. That's like that's how you create this kind of like narrative and it fits extremely well with like what national wants to be talking about which is anti-public sector like rhetoric right i yeah. think that's the more interesting kind of like bigger narrative arc of where this potentially leads
2: well there are I- to that very early from the right as well with david seymour coming out and saying this is just the tip of the iceberg like the uh, the left is rife through the public service which is an obscene thing to say you know, the get fucked, Philip. Um, he's doing little hand pump
1: uh, gestures for those who for the show. Don't know the video. Uh, um uh, uh Lodestar and Idol. Um, um it's yeah, it was
2: it was very, very clear. And all the all the signs were there it was gonna happen. And we know the media likes to take these really easy stories, and it's embarrassing, but the all the all the stories that have come out around other public servants like Mahari and Dyson. The people reporting on these will probably think they're hotshot journalists for going back and just trawling through social media posts like some pathetic uh, Tumblr teenager um, to try and catch these people out um, and and get them up front and apologizing. And then, lo and behold, the government was like, oh, this is different somehow, despite the evidence that they purported uh, to be using in the Rob Campbell case being far stronger for both Mahari and Dyson. Uh, and yeah. so it it turns out it was never about um, Rob Campbell's comments. It, it very likely was about their relationship with Rob Campbell. Um, yeah. And the question is: Do we want public entities to be led by people who are, are reinforcing the status quo, who are you know at least publicly subservient to power, or in the case of especially these these really wide-reaching um, projects that Labor is trying to create transformation with? Do do like maybe you actually do want someone who who speaks out and um is a bit more radical in, in that sense because uh, how are you getting that change otherwise? And they would have known that when they hired him as well, by the way.
1: Yeah, I mean I I have to take the L on because I didn't think it was really gonna lead to to that much more beyond Rob Campbell. Uh so I was I was wrong on that. Although I do have to say at the same time, I mean, I in, in terms of what we're actually, you know, really talking about, like if it's gonna lead to some sort of Widespread purge of uh, the the public sector of people with left leaning views. Uh, I don't really see much evidence yeah. of that happening. And and in fact, the, the fact that Labour has treated you know the, these other two cases so differently and and basically has resisted, uh, uh, despite the fact that, that Labour has been criticised for the hypocrisy of not not um, you know treating Bahari and Ruth Dyson the same way. I mean, actually, to, to me that points to the fact that probably. But this is still not going to lead to anything more. I mean, it, it seems like basically it's just Rob Campbell's kind of got, got screwed out of all this, uh, uh, which is too bad for him. But but there is an interesting uh, discussion to be had here about you know like sure there, there's there's reasons why you might want the appearance of political impartiality among civil servants even. As everyone knows, this is a bit of kabuki theater that we're all engaged in. No one, no one <laughs> no one's on earth is politically impartial, especially if you're someone who works in government. You're going to have some political opinions, um, you know. So, but but there's a reason that that we want to have that appearance, I suppose. However, in in this case, you know, I mean, none of these offending remarks really have any actual bearing on the on the thing that that uh, these people are actually doing. I mean, there's, there's no. You know, direct connection to or, or impact, aside from the fact that maybe, you know, uh, some tweeted criticisms of national might make it a little bit awkward when there's a change of government. Um, and uh, but, uh, like they're all grown sort of up. Say. But, but, well, exactly, and also, I mean, I mean, come on, I mean, Ruth Dyson is a former Labour MP. What, like, no Stephen Mahari. If, Steve if, if, if like, yeah, right, exactly. So, so if Luxon became uh, prime minister, what do, do we suddenly think that he would he would assume that they they had just completely? Um, uh, forgotten about their past political affiliations and that those uh, biases have gone away? Of course not. So it's it's all this whole thing, number one, has almost no bearing on anything at all in anyone's lives and then any of the very pressing issues that are facing uh, this country. Um, but it's also beyond that, it's just the whole thing is a little bit uh, silly.
2: Yeah. And the, I think the the most irritating thing for me and it's it's been happening both in, in regular media but also on social and uh, in the politics space it's this performative civility like impartiality thing as if like that's what really matters we need political neutrality and we are are standing up for the public service kind of shit uh especially coming from some like pretty nasty right wingers and like purporting to you know be in the middle ground on this but we know how that turns out like this stuff is never it never really comes home to roost for anyone on the right wing unless they do something outrageous and we've just seen in the uk that kind of performance uh ends up with the removal of gary lineker from match of the day for coming out against probably one of the worst policies of the modern era in the uk which they've ripped straight from australia
0: um you, you never go full Australia. They went full Australia. You never go full Australia. <laughs> and like,
2: it's against like UN conventions, you know, it's like against human rights. It's this kind of stop the migrants uh, rhetoric. Um Lineker came out to say I that this is not a good policy, this is against human rights. Um, and the BBC removed him as a commentator be, and, and be too over bad. impartiality.
1: It'd be, be too bad as, if, as a commentator, he had um comments to make about things that were happening in the country, <laughs>
2: yeah. And it'd <laughs> be a real shame, but well, it him as a sports commentator, you know. Yeah. Um, and the head of the BBC, who by the way is a national donor, um, not national, like, oh, sorry, yeah, conservative sorry, sorry. donor, Tory donor, um, who. Like hooked yeah. up Boris Johnson with like an eight hundred thousand
0: dollars loan. Long, um, long history of supporting. Ran long, for, long a history. counselor a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Was Who, full, fully on board with the Tory Party in the UK, and
2: and has never, um, has never tweeted about it. Um, so he must be impartial. Obviously, um, <laughs> has been like interviewed as saying, uh, or, or refusing to say whether or not he would have removed um, Lineker if Lineker come out in support of the policy. You know, and that, that, <laughs> it's a shoe in that he could just say, oh, yeah, that wouldn't have been impartial either. But this is not how it operates. This is not to, to claim that vocal impartiality um, and that the performance of impartiality is somehow fundamental to the public service and to politics. is to completely ignore any theory of power um, and how the people who hold that power, um, who reinforce the status quo, will will never bend in a different direction anyway. Uh, so in fact, all you're doing is backing up your mates, um, who who hold those reins and and very little else. Look, honestly, like if Labour or you know a left no, I was going a left wing entity um, was to come out and do the op- opposite and just remove all the right wingers. Fuck yes. Good. Like I I I don't want these people um, to be guiding government policy. But the reality is that both Labour and National hire each other's MPs to head these inquiries, to head these organizations, because they have a, a gentleman's deal to keep things within a very narrow band um, of movement.
0: And the and, ones who they and realistically the ones who they pick, uh, you know, if you're on the right of the Labour Party, Stuart Nash is gonna get snapped up as a high paid public servant as soon as National comes to power, right? Like absolutely. all the same way the other way around. Like Chester Burroughs, obviously like a shoe in. Like if you're if you're the Labour Party Chester Burroughs is pick. different again. I
2: don't really want to like associate him with Stuart Nash because
0: I'm not look, I'm not comparing him to Stuart's <laughs> He's obviously but you know, yes. But, you know what I mean? Like, there's a the the overlap there is so great. The Venn diagram intersection is so great that you you basically know who's going to get a high paid public sector job that just offered immediately to them, and it's it's going to be certain. You know, the exact type of person you would expect. Yeah, like, uh, parliamentary a
2: blob
1: stuff. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, on, on the BBC thing, I mean, I think that actually uh, that example relates much more to what we've been talking about. Where, I mean, number one. Political impartiality or or, or or partiality is much more important if you're talking about a state broadcaster because of the fact that they cover politics and cover the news. Um, obviously, what Lineker did is not remotely related to that. He had a criticism of a specific policy. The idea that you can't criticize specific government policies as someone who works for media is—it's an impartiality issue in with. itself. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but on the other hand, you know, the the other example that the you know the the, loan, the Tory loan. Um, I mean, that that. It's absolutely and an outrageous breach of, of impartiality and that actually does have a very direct bearing on whether the BBC is able to, to to carry out its functions as a um as a, a impartial broadcaster as a as a, so, uh, an entity that covers the news in a way that um, that is going to be, you know, at least somewhat fair and balanced, which, of course, we know it doesn't, because you know, I mean, we, we don't have to go too far into history to to you know to look at some of the stuff the BBC has done, particularly around the demonization of Jeremy Corbyn and some of the information that's come out since then about the um, the absolute just hatchet job that they did, that the, you know, the complete distortion of facts and um and, and and sort of uh misleading uh relaying of interviews they did and so on and so forth to make Corbyn, who of course was the opponent of the tories uh look as terrible as possible so
0: and they've been and the bbc has been sidling right for a few decades like i i know i've dropped this name a few times but everyone should read tom mills's uh bbc um, uh, the myth of the public service where he talks about the way that despite the fact that on paper the bbc is a very like the structure of it is what you would set up if you wanted like a public service kind of broadcaster that was open and impartial and had kind of honest dispassionate debates about political issues over time that's been subservient to the will of capital and the will of power increasingly as time's gone on it's really interesting and i think the last especially two three decades it's been increasingly apparent that that's the case and as we've seen like look what happened when jeremy corbyn appeared an actual left-wing party leader there was no breach like there are measurable ways in which sky news rupert murdoch's fucking outlet were more generous towards jeremy corbyn because it was selling because people would watch it right so Mm. a purely market-based incentive system for media was more generous towards a left-wing uh leader than a deeply establishment uh organization which is why i've started saying establishment media rather than mainstream media because I think the establishment element of it is what maintains that kind of momentum, right? That, you know, no pun intended, but the the <laughs> momentum that like carries that institution through time, they, they need to feel the same as they did 20 years ago. That's their main kind of driving force. Mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating, like compare that to New Zealand, right? Where people talk about like Granny Herald, because the Herald needs to maintain itself as kind of the, I suppose, our paper of record if we have one. And... Ooh their like their maintenance of feeling normal is, you know, doing crime reporting or whatever, like complaining about whatever shit is happening. Mm. <laughs> and it's always gotta feel the same. Like it doesn't have to be yeah. the same, but it has to feel the same.
1: Although, may I mean, like, I mean, I think in New Zealand, uh, you know, for instance, uh, 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 national radio uh, it maybe is is not as pressured, but feels just as pressured to present itself as no, no, no we're not, we're not on the far left. We don't have any remotely left-wing sympathies. Um, so that definitely exists uh, uh, here too. It's just um, well, for whatever reason, we haven't quite reached the the, the, the level that the BBC has. But um, let's not talk about this subject because yeah, yeah. no, it's fine. <laughs> who, who cares? Uh, but um, but I mean, related to that is is uh, in the ongoing crusade against the public sector, uh, national is uh, now taking aim at consultants, which uh, in theory, um, totally, Totally fine. I mean, we've talked about the show many times and how, how the, the government's kind of shift away from actually having a, a, a permanent committed uh, uh, civil service to, to sort of just um, contracting stuff out has, has you know, caused a, a whole bunch of problems. We talked about this during the, um you know, the mayhem of the buses uh, a while back. Um, so there's nothing... Uh, wrong with, with taking air with this the problem is of course number one that that um, seems like Chris box and number one is, does not have a total grasp on the uh on the, on the facts as he's launching these attacks number one and number two um of course national uh, oversaw a massive explosion in the use of consultants because if you had government and just want to uh, privatize everything of course you're gonna um you know, uh, uh, contract everything out and and, and give uh, private interests uh, 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 inroad into What should be government uh, work? So, um, yeah, I mean, what what do you guys think about this particular scandal?
2: I'm always stunned at the way in which this stuff is reported on face value, um, you know, as as a significant attack on labor, um, or whatever, without thinking about or without acknowledging the outcomes of the policies that. These other parties want to enact. So if you're looking at either act or national, um, as you said, Branco, they, they want to gut the public service. This is part of what their political project does. Um, and they have other policies that relate to that. So at the same time that, uh, Luxon was talking about cutting consultants, he was also talking about cutting staff, um, from different public entities. Okay. Now, now what happens? Like the, the whole plan is to privatize more. Uh, whether that's healthcare or education, or the charter schools or good um, private medical providers. And those two sets of outcomes are, are irre- irreconcilable. Uh, and, and I don't think we are well served by a media that just takes a PR frame and says, oh, look, it's an attack. Okay, it landed, it didn't. Um, you have to ask what's going to happen now.
0: Yeah, what are the actual material results of what you're talking about, right? And it's I think it's particularly ironic because Chris Hopkins just became prime minister which like the reason that Chris Hipkins became known or, you know, started to be referred to as an attack dog in the Labour Party was based on consultants fees. Like his his main thing that he got his teeth into in two thousand and nine through two thousand and twelve-ish, I wanna say, early in the key government years, was consultants fees. Cause he was right. Like Key screwed down the private sector, of the public sector, I should say, and massively blew out the amount that they were spending on consultants and basically the attack that Luxon is making on labor right now is the exact same thing that Chris Hipkins was saying bloody 10 years ago correctly like saying why are you like like not hiring enough people in the public sector to do their jobs and then hiring the exact same people back and paying them twice as much which is you know Chris Luxon and uh, Nicola Willis's attack line now it's a good attack line and they it was written 10 years ago by Chris Hipkins who, who now can't disagree with it so every time he's interviewed, he goes, yes, I agree. We should have a more powerful public sector that does these jobs instead of contracting in the exact same people for the same thing. There's obviously some nuance to it because, you know, there are times when the public sector has to do more than it otherwise would in, for example, a pandemic or a cyclone. Not that we can imagine either of those situations right now, but for example, if if an emergency were to occur it makes perfect sense that you you probably do need to like second in some people with specialist knowledge. But for the most part, I think our public sector has been like withered to the bone so badly in the last 30 years. We do need to rebuild a bunch of this stuff. Right. And that's something that Chris Hipkins, like to his credit was saying a bloody decade ago. And now Chris Luxon has taken this as his new attack line. It's pretty, it's pretty
1: funny. Well, and and I think the key thing to remember about this is what is this related to? It's related to the ongoing, you know, light but austerity, but austerity nonetheless. Um, that that successive governments are running on. I mean, you know, number one, this whole idea of you know, firing a bunch of comm staff and you know, consultants that that is a direct outgrowth of you know, national wanting to to save money. Um, of course, national are never going to talk about taxing the rich they're never going to talk about taxing all the companies that made an absolute killing over the course of the pandemic and 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 beyond um so of course where does the burden have to fall has to fall on public sector workers and ordinary working people um number two you know the the issue with 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 consultants and the over-reliance of consultants part of that is the 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 uh, public sector uh, uh pay freeze that they that, would that put into place and, and that meant that people decided to go, Hey, well, you know, if I can make more money, um, leaving this job and then just be hired back as a consultant, I'm going to do that. Uh, b- both of those things in both cases, it's a misallocation of, of, of priorities and a misallocation of, of where the burden for, for, uh, funding the essential government services that we all depend on, uh, actually falls. And in each case, both of these major parties, they don't want to uh, 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 alienate or, or uh, piss off, uh, you know, the, the rich and powerful. And so what's the easiest thing to do? Yeah, just uh, attack the civil service. And Labor will never frame it that way because they want to, you know, be seen as the party of workers. They want to be seen as the the, we're the party that believes in government. But, you know, as always, just as in the climate issue, um, just because someone uh, if someone says something different, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of difference if they're doing effectively the same thing.
0: And just just quickly about the pay freeze thing, I think it's interesting that recently both National and Labor have signaled that they'd be willing to take the foot off the brake for that. But like Luxon as well was saying, oh, we need to think about uh, cost of living for everybody, which means like when he was asked about that question, that was his, I think, that is quite symbolic, but they they have the exact same positions on a bunch of this stuff and it's not being reported that way. Like Labour and National have essentially the exact same, they're in lockstep when it comes to consultants. They both want to turn down the consultant tap at the same time. They want to, you know, it's just, it's just symbology. Like a lot of this stuff is basically the same policies.
2: And that's why it's such a shame that uh, the performative aspect of it is reported on and not, and not the outcomes. Uh, I think with, with Labour in the same way as the impartiality stuff as well, you know when when they're doing this um austerity light uh when they're trying to triangulate uh with national's point of view to to hold the center ground or whatever the the, the third way kind of approach is always going to fail when they they gained enough votes that national had to push the boat out because they end up trying to triangulate with stuff that is antithetical to their own projects uh, you you can't do you can't have a functional public service which is necessary for any transformative kind of systemic change uh, if at the same time you're trying to cut that public service um, or even trying to tread water on it it just it's not going to work and it was always the inherent failure um, of a of this kind of political project um at some point things are going to fall over the, the question is whether our our largest ostensibly left-wing party, Uh, is going to take those steps itself or or wait for another couple of big climate uh you know exacerbated uh weather weather events to to wipe out a whole bunch more infrastructure
0: and and what does that mean right so it's i think it's a failure of reporting as well like you're saying um when when it's reported that national has said we want to save whatever a hundred and something million dollars and consultants fees like whatever their goal is you go okay so what are, what are you not going to do like are you going to in-house that stuff or are you going to stop so like i think chris hipkins has got better at this he wasn't great for the first couple of days but more recently i think he's starting to pick up on how to combat this he had quite a good line i think it was on rnz the other day where i think Guyan espinar i want to say um Asked him, so can you commit right now that you'll also spend less on consultant fees? Fuck, I hate that question. Uh, yeah, and he said no because if the choice is between outsourcing building a new school that needs to be built or not building it, I'm going to build that school regardless of who builds it. And that's a good line. Like that's how you that's how you make that argument. I think it's yeah. much more materialist than than Nationals doing. And this is why Luxon's not a good leader. He's not. He's not strategic. He's not. It's on
2: either. But people giving them these lines don't know what the fuck they're doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because that's quite an easy line to respond to, right? And even though Chris Hipkins was like unusually uncomfortable in this, because he's used to being in the other position, right? He should be in Chris Luxon's shoes attacking the government for using consultants. He's been doing that for a bloody decade. And now he's the one who has to defend it. He's figured out, slowly figuring out, I think, a way to get back at it.
2: Yeah. I think um, one of the other things, again, was the reporting is that because of because they're not talking about the outcomes because they're they're locked into this horse race stuff you've seen stuff like rnz yesterday or today saying oh national has landed a solid blow on labor over consultants and now labor are unsteady and it's like that no this is it's nothing this is nothing this is this is not real this is not a a real issue you're not talking about any of the outcomes of this so there's no like practical uh effect of this it's It's a bizarre thing to say in any frame other than this weird perception politics that, you know, the Wellington blob, the the parliamentary blob uh, loves to circle jerk about. Um, It's it's not it's again, it's not serving the public. It's so easy to solve. And I it doesn't even get clicked. No one gives a shit. No one gives a shit about this
1: stuff. Well, speaking of uh, magnifying minor differences between the two major parties and parliamentary circle jacks, recently, National called for a civil uh, committee inquiry into uh, into the banks because of the massive amounts of profit they had been making. Uh, now, on the one hand, it's great that... that uh, they were followed by, by, by the way, every single party except the labor. Um, so it's great that, that you know even nationals come around to to want to, to scrutinize the, the massive amount of money everyone's made uh, in the right. banking sector out of the, the last few years of disruption. On the other hand, I mean, it, it, almost every time an inquiry is, at least to me, it's a way to kick the can in a row and to avoid actually doing the thing that everyone knows has to be done um but this way you just sort of fill some time and and delay it and maybe give yourself a little more uh uh, room to kind of i don't know figure out some messaging for how you eventually flip-flop on one or or one way or the other on this particular issue um i mean you know yeah it's great that we'll get to find out more about how badly the banks are screwing us i don't think anyone is uh is, is is thinks that we're not being screwed everyone understands that, that that the amount of money the banks have made is completely inappropriate that they should be uh, taxed at a high rate for it especially given all the pressing problems that, that we have facing in the country um so this just feels to me like a bit of a delaying tactic maybe i'm being a little cynical i don't know what do you guys uh, of course i agree that's exactly yeah exactly um <laughs> i'm glad to see that we're still our mind still lost, in lockstep uh, despite but...
0: four years of uh podcasting together still <laughs> unimaginative enough to have the exact same opinions <laughs> yeah no, no this sure. is that's-
2: really clear stuff this is you know we've seen labor do extensive inquiries where they've been given like really clear guidelines about what needs to happen to solve the issues that they asked to have solutions for and just say no. And, you know, the the clear example of this, um, well, actually, there are a couple of clear examples right now. Um, one is the Welfare Expert Advisory Group, uh, which Labour has failed to do anything on. Uh, Continually, of, of, since they
0: got in for years. So this isn't a short, this is which a is like
2: term. A, a disgusting one. And then there's a Commerce Commission report on the supermarkets where they, mm. where Labor basically said, oh, please do something or we might be mad. Sure wouldn't, well, so, so sure
0: wouldn't want case, them to notice that we we're mad at them. Sure wouldn't want that. Imagine in, that.
1: In this case, labor Labor's line is rather than supporting a, a select committee agree, we want to support a Commerce Commission agree, presumably because it'll take longer <laughs> and so that, it'll give them more time to avoid having to Actually, take any position on this. How, um, how, how, how far just fucking the tax them? Market? Just <laughs> look, but like these are big corporates, use the fucking stick. Like,
2: I we, mean, we've been calling for a, a just a windfall tax for the yeah. last like two years now. Like, they could just do that, it solves massive problems with the, the hole in their budget. They're just like, okay, cool. Like, these guys creamed during um during well, covet. Yeah. we're we're taking this we're we're taking this and we're using it to rebuild it's everyone interesting support it. the
1: entire thing is framed around like uh, the idea is that we have to look into this because maybe the banks have done something wrong and i mean i, th- I think the banks have done something wrong. clearly they are you know uh uh, uh they they they're making money off us and off rising uh, raising raising the cost of living for everyone uh but um even if they hadn't even if even if everything they're doing is above board that doesn't that's it's irrelevant the point is in, a, in a, well-functioning uh wealthy society the way the tax works is that if you do really well we the we the the collective the government society we take some of back and we reinvest it so that we're able to have this nice beautiful country that we all uh, enjoy living with in, living in, or you know visiting uh for two months of every year so. um but but that that's the point the point is that that you know we understand that is is not just a a matter of individual achievement. It's a it's a it's seen as come out of a collective enterprise, and uh, especially in a case of an emergency, especially in a case where we are absurdly nickel and diming the public sector, and you know talking about oh if we slash uh, these uh, these communication staff jobs here, and oh if we if we do this, uh, we cut consultants here. Uh, if we are that desperate for money, it's absurd. To just be allowing this massive level of profit making to to, to continue without taxing it back, I mean, gee, and then especially given the scale of everything that needs to be done, that seemingly everyone now, in the wake of Gabriel, um, is uh, 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 acknowledges. You know, every, everyone there were there were op eds of from from across the political spectrum after um, after that crisis where. People are saying, "Oh yeah, God! Look, our infrastructure is completely uh, outdated. Oh, look at we need to, which again we already knew. It. Yeah, which we already knew. But then people suddenly realize it, and then but then we are still stuck in this ridiculous, or, or at least not not we. I shouldn't say we. It's our political class, and definitely a large uh, cohort of the media." Are still stuck in this ridiculous austerity mindset where it's like, oh my god, we have this massive job ahead of us. Oh, but we um uh, we can't uh, do anything about it, and we basically just have to um uh, uh, make life as difficult as possible for for and this, you know, people in the middle uh, to to do it.
2: It's ridiculous. This is this is alongside that kind of like continual like individual success is paramount, um, like framing which everyone knows is bullshit, right? Everyone knows that no single person is, like, individually successful to the point that they deserve everything and they they shouldn't be taxed uh, and they shouldn't contribute back. And, you know, by the by, like, obviously that's wrong, but the fact that all these big corporates um, and all these lobby groups are continually lobbying the government to spend all the taxpayer dollars on very specific things uh, like building more roads for my large truck freight uh, should immediately give the lie, again, in terms of outcomes, to just what allows these people to be prosperous in the first place.
1: It's also especially ludicrous in light of the, the, the fact that in this case, the, the uh, great individual achievement of, of uh, profit-making uh, that the banks have done came in the back of a money printing program uh, that, yeah, the exactly. bought, that the government that the Reserve yeah. Bank did uh, that directly stimulated the r- absurd speculative frenzy that they have all been uh, wallowing in ever since so you know th- their profits are a direct result of what is essentially you know a, a meant to be a you know a public institution uh, exactly
0: exactly i think we were to be honest i think we were actually pretty good on this during lockdowns when when the government was talking about uh you know covering a certain amount of wages and all this uh you know money programs for various kind of sectors we were saying look contingent on rebalancing the economy that works like there are ways in which you can, you know, massively stimulate the economy, but it is going to mean like inherently that shit will flow a certain way and it's going to flow towards the, pl- the places that already make profit. And sure enough, like read the fire economy, uh, Jane Kelsey's book, finance, insurance, real estate. That's where money flows downhill to now, since we redesigned our economy. Of course, that's the case, right? Political economy has been deliberately structured in such a way that that's where, you know, shit flows downhill. That's where it's going to end up. So that happened and should have been preempted at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should. I mean, who's have to say it wasn't, wasn't right? Us. It was. We knew that this was going to happen, right? We were saying this at the time. Jacinda should have known this at the time. Grant Robertson, one hundred percent, knew this at the time. And the fact that they did nothing about changing the settings of like the ways in which taxes are collected and and when and you know discounting wealth taxes and all that stuff is like a hundred percent their fault. That's it's, that's it's cowardice crazy. at best. At best.
1: Um, and by the way, uh, you cannot be one of these people who uh, argues against universal policies, like say, fast free university, um, and and you know, and the like, because oh, you don't want it to benefit people who are well off, and then be like, oh no, we can't tax the banks and their billions of profits. Um, <laughs> you, that doesn't make any anybody sense. And by the way, uh, one of the things I saw. Uh, uh I can't remember where I read this, but one of the, the reasonings given for why they're afraid to touch the banks is that they're worried that they're going to leave the country. I'm sorry. I mean, that is one of the most absurd. Does anyone honestly think that the, the, the being back in New Zealand is going to leave in New Zealand well, and sit up shop where exactly? This is a I constant, mean, like, little bit uh, of fear-mongering,
2: <laughs> right? Like, all, yeah, the, flight, all the billionaires yeah. Yeah. Are, I, that are going to I, go I, I, and take their
1: jobs I elsewhere. Dare, I dare these banks to leave because yep. at that point first of all we have a, a a publicly owned bank that would be i think i'm sure more than willing to step into that void and sweep up all the market share that they have just left behind Singapore, i mean they've made so much money off of this country the idea that they're going to 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 now leave as some sort of tantrum no i'm sorry i mean we live in a capitalist society we, leave in, we live in a, in a in a in a country where you know, ultimately greed and the profit motive is what drives people. Any, uh, the, the most orthodox neoliberal economist will tell you that their commitment to making a buck is going to keep them in this country, even if uh, we end up taking uh, some of their, their their profits back. So that's, that's just not going to happen. It's an absurd argument.
0: And every, every comparative study about capital flight that they've done, where it actually makes sense, like in the US between states, when regulate regulations change shows that every single time there's not as much capital fight as you expect it does exist as a thing but it's never as dramatic as pre- as you know predictably PR operators on the behalf of capital will tell you because it works to their advantage for you to be too scared to legislate or change you know minimum wage laws or whatever if one state increases minimum wage laws to $18 in the states and the one next to it's $15 the the one with $18 is going to say every single business will leave and then, like you know, the businesses that were already on the edge of closing down might close down. That's what's gonna. That's what's gonna happen. There's not and the gonna new be new businesses. The will open. Demand still exists, right? People are yeah. gonna buy stuff. Banks will replace banks that can't survive the new regime. That's not the end of the world, to be honest.
1: So, an excuse. Um, but uh, on our final topic, and very much in keeping with the uh, the theme of uh, austerity mindset that we uh, have been coming here, um, there are the uh, teacher strikes that are going to be happening. Uh, next week. Uh, I I mean, I've actually been surprised uh, to see some actually pretty supportive uh, pieces in the media about this. You know, people interviewing parents who are saying, yeah, I totally get it um like I, you know it's it's going to be disruptive it's going to make things difficult for me but i i totally think teachers should be paid more um i've also seen uh uh on the am show
2: oh jesus uh,
1: tv3 uh what is her name um
2: melissa chang green
1: -Green. yeah i i myself i am a uh breakfast and good morning man uh through and through uh but but so I, i don't I don't watch this program. But You're, up early, the... shows, <laughs> I, You're when... up early enough to watch these shows, in the day barely
0: up early enough to buddy join these podcasts, let alone <laughs> watch it.
1: Oh, one, once upon a time, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, she, she said something along the lines of basically, I mean, her, her formulation was, I completely support the teachers and I think teachers should be paid more and all the good stuff, yada, yada, yada. But... And it's that's that's the point where if you if you start to put a button there, you you it negates everything you just said. You don't support teachers getting a higher pay. Her point was the one that we're going to probably hear um, endlessly for the next week, which is that oh, if they strike, oh, it's going to make things disruptive for parents. Uh, kids will lose another, um, you know, a, a day, you know, day or multiple days of learning that after all these disruptions that have happened to, to, to kids, uh, schooling over the past few years. And can't we just find a way to do this without doing all that stuff? And the answer, uh, Melissa is no, 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 you can't. I mean, that, this is the entire point. The reason why no, no one, especially in this day and age, no workers just strike willy-nilly Uh, just at the the drop of a hat. It's a very serious decision that they uh, make. These negotiations have been going on for, uh, what, uh, over a year at this point. Um, The fact that they're they're striking now is a sign of um, uh, the fact that they think that that it calls for it, that the situation is so intolerable that they felt that there was nothing else they could do. Um, And, yes, it's disruptive. That is the entire point, because if you can't, be disruptive then you you have nothing that you can bargain with it, it's it's a show of in the same way that you know i mean here the employer holds all the power the government holds all the power uh teachers have to show that hey actually we have some power of our own and if you continue to to not um uh, 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 meet our calls uh, our demands which i think are completely reasonable especially given all the you know the the, the disruption um caused to schooling that that's caused by having such crappy uh, teacher pay, which we, you know, no one, no one seems to, to bat an eyelid about that. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they have to to do this to, to, to try and bring the, the government, uh, you know, basically to to meet their demands. So yeah, there's no point saying, Oh, I wish we could do this some other way. Well, yeah, I think everyone does. I think, excuse me. I think the teachers themselves wish that it, it would have been that way, but it hasn't happened. So this is where we are.
2: I think, Again, and this is just becoming a a consistent irritation to me, you've got these strikes happening and people attacking the teachers and other people attacking the government because of the situation that the teachers are in. Um, And and to be clear, like a starting teacher here um, could go to Australia and get paid almost double uh, as a first-year teacher. They're they're paid like the top of the scale um, of the New Zealand system to go and be like a first-year teacher in Australia. That's obscene. But the really irritating thing is that at the same time this conversation is happening, the government's also being attacked for our literacy and numeracy rates. Like, why the fuck do you think that's happening? Could it be, you know, decades of underinvestment in our education system? Maybe, you know, and and it comes down to what are the outcomes? I, I don't care about what the perception lines are. I don't care about what the press releases are. If they don't line up with, like, I don't care about the reporting on those, like, it's just attacks, or as like, ways to drive a wedge on, on particular things a government is doing, whether it's labor or national or whoever. These two things, you cannot be making both arguments, you cannot say, oh, the teachers shouldn't strike, and we shouldn't pay them more at the same time as complaining about our literacy rates. I'm sorry, but it's, it's completely contradictory. Like, it's yeah. incoherent. And people need to be held to account for trying to run these these two-track arguments um based only on political performance
1: yeah i want everyone who is doing this uh once somebody think of the children routine to oppose um uh, pay increases and other other working condition uh improvements for for teachers so consider the fact that i mean we're in a long-running now teacher shortage you know i mean the, the it's it's Pretty well known, I think, in this country that the education sector is, is a bit of a mess and has been because of the same thing that has caused every every problem that that we bemoan for you know or our, our politicians bemoan for five minutes at a time before moving on to the next shiny thing, which is underinvestment. We're we're trying, just we're scrambling all over the place to try and get teachers to come over from other countries and come and work here because we because of the shitty rates that we pay teachers. Um, and it's a very tough job. I mean, you know, even if the pay was increased, this is, this is still a, a job that goes well in, well past the end of school and to, into people's personal lives. Um, because of this, try to get people to, to come over here. And yet, we, we how are we going to do that if we don't have a decent enough uh, pay scale to actually make it worth people's while to, to uproot from whatever country they're in and come here? Not just come here, but come here above every other country. Uh, you know, Canada, Australia, the U.S., every other country that's offering um, potentially way better uh, uh, financial inducements. So, I mean, if you really care about the children, then you will absolutely support the the the, the strikes here, because these teachers ultimately are, are trying to fight for a a more robust New Zealand educational sector. That's going to mean that your kid um, has better uh, uh, uh a better education that, that that there's enough teachers in your kid's school that the the class sizes aren't uh you know massive and there aren't constantly you know relief teachers being called in to, to uh fill in gaps i mean that that is really if you really care about the kids you're not just using this as some sort of rhetorical cudgel that's what you should be supporting
0: yeah exactly like i think kyle's done a, a couple of really good episodes with teachers um in the past if you want to scroll back and find previous one of 200 episodes, he's done some really good interviews with the struggles and the travails in the uh, public education sector in New Zealand. And like, I don't, you know, I don't tend to bring my personal life into these podcasts at all, but I grew up in a family where pretty much everyone was teachers. So this feels quite personal to me. Um, And there were enough like missed sports practices and, and dinners and stuff because my dad had to mark homework. You know, that's, it's like you say, it's not a, it's not a job that ends at three or even at five quite often. It's pretty full on and very stressful and it's not treated with the severity that it, it obviously these people are like literally building the next generation for us. So if we don't invest in that, which we haven't for, you know, at least 30, 40 years, it's pretty bloody embarrassing that that's, you know, that's how much value we're putting on the next generation. I think there is like a, a values thing to it where you can appeal to people's better natures. And most people know that teachers are important and they'll say that. But they won't put money to it, right? It's really like banging the pots and pans for the nurse's level of support. like sure, you can say what you like, but why not pay them as adults? Like it's a tough but it's a tough gig. like it's it's so hard hard going. You need to manage the expectations of a bunch of different people at the same time. you need to manage uh, teachers other teachers expectations and the bureaucracy and the government and all these different parents who all want different things for their special snowflake children like it's a tough job right um and it gets paid like it's a customer service worker it's it's crazy like i've seen people come out of teaching being burned out obviously a lot everyone gets burned out of teaching how could you not in new zealand but i've seen people come out and get like 100k jobs just through soft skills because these people are incredibly smart and onto it and any they clearly like care about people You don't take a teaching job because you're incentivized by getting paid like, you know, 50K (laughs) to do a job that basically rots your soul from the inside out for five years until you burn out and choose to do something else. Like these these people are like good people who work extremely hard, have amazing communication skills, they have like they care a lot about the next generation and often have like quite deep and nuanced understandings of different topics. That's why you become a teacher. You don't become a teacher for the, the breaks. I can assure you of that.
1: One of the uh, funniest objections I heard, um, and this may have been also uh, Melissa Chang Green, um, but I, I'm sure I've heard it elsewhere too, is, you know, what example is this going to set for the children? Uh, because, you know, we, we all disapproved of the uh, the student climate strikes um, and now the kids are being told actually, well, you know, the teachers are, are taking time off school to... to 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 which I reply, what a great lesson! Uh, Because the the idea that the kids shouldn't have struck, shouldn't have left school to to highlight the uh, the issue of climate change and the absolute nothing that was being done about it continues to be done about it. uh, it, That was a horrible lesson to teach them. And instead, what I would hope is that they would look at their teachers potentially, you know, uh, uh, taking a bit of a risk uh, and um, uh, uh, using the leverage that they have and actually getting a win. And perhaps that'll that'll show them, hey, by the way, this is a thing that you can do too, that that you can use what leverage you have in the position of society that you hold to be able to actually um, uh, force the government to do the things that you want. I can't think of a, a better lesson well, that's they're what they're afraid of, right? What are they going right. to
2: teach kids? To leverage the little power that they have?
0: Use your, <laughs> use your labor power and they, to negotiate in position that you have. No, please
1: stop. Yeah, yeah no, no, yeah. How terrible for, for really kids that's to, what... to learn that they can use, uh, that they can, you know, disrupt things and so thereby force the people in power who otherwise yeah. just sit around ignoring issues to actually act in. What the- what a horrible world that would be.
0: And to be and to be like slightly glib about it, I guess the the most accurate response to the Melissa changreen thing of like isn't there another way is yes, but you're talking to the wrong people. Like teachers aren't holding the reins when it comes to mm. increasing their, you know, worker worker power. That's the government you should be talking to. The way to prevent a strike is by caving to the demands. That's what demands are. Like if, if they were given what they have been asking for, for so many months, then yes, you could prevent strikes. That's what strikes are. They're the last resort, right? Well, this is the other, like the the sidetrack,
2: um, attack on the strikes, right? Is that teachers have turned down a significant pay increase. Um, and we saw this with the nurses strikes as well, but it's not only about the pay either. It's also about teaching conditions, and the One.
0: firefighters, remember the firefighters who were mm-hmm. talking about literal holes in their in their defense gear and their boots were the wrong sizes. And people were like, oh, it's weird that you're not accepting like a 8% pay rise. It's like marginally above inflation. But like, I'm more concerned about burning to death, actually. Like I have other <laughs> worries on my job, you know, yeah. and the same way with nurses and teachers. Like this is a hardcore job, especially in the COVID era where, you know, the main hazard to teachers health now is being in a room with... 30 kids from different family groups, you're, that is a frontline job now. That is that is mm. hardcore.
1: And also, I mean, teachers, I think, are the most likely uh, occupation to come down with COVID, by the way, which is not remotely surprising at all. Um, I mean, I think that the thing that ties all these examples together is everything that the people who are arguing against these strikes uh, are warning about or fearing are going to happen, and they're going to happen more often if the workers whether it's teachers whether it's firefighters whether it's nurses or anyone else unless they get what they want because what they are calling for is not just a betterment of their own individual uh uh, lives and, and working conditions but but trying to ensure that the 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 sector that they're working in is actually sustainable and actually functional in the long term it isn't just sort of being patched uh, up every now and then, um, and and sort of running on the on the fumes of of, of the goodwill of, of the people who sacrifice themselves to, to try and make them happen. So, um, bottom line, if you don't, if you are scared of disruptions to your kids' schooling, and you know, or, or or to to medical procedures or whatnot, then you should absolutely be supportive of a one-time, short-term disruption so that these workers get 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 a decent pay. And that future workers get a decent pay. We're actually able to attract people from other countries to come here and, and and make our country a uh, run club. Yeah,
0: full full solidarity to you know any workers striking, but in this case, obviously teachers. They've been treated like absolute trash for so long, um, and it's disgusting. So full solidarity to everyone. Talk to a few teachers. Tell them you support them. Um, if you don't understand the problems, it's probably your problem. It's not it's not their problem. <laughs> and if you're in you the know. media making bad pay attacks on the teachers, you're a scab. Uh, and yeah.
2: If you really cared about teachers, you'd attack the government on this instead, and you'd try and yep. force them to, to meet their needs. 100%. I think that's um, that's us for the morning, folks.
1: Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another another smooth sign off. So smooth. Now
2: uh, yeah. That's been another episode of 1 of 200, episode 199. Uh, just a heads up, everyone. We are going to be hitting uh, episode 200 of 200. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. We, we threatened um, it. We threatened
1: it many years ago. and Now it's finally it's coming. It's
2: finally coming around. Uh, and after that, we're going to go on hiatus. We will not be doing weekly podcasts at that point. We might have uh, some coming out a bit more infrequently, uh, just interviews and single-issue podcasts. Uh, but we are, what do we say, taking stock, making sure that our own systems are fit for purpose, um, and hopefully back in time for election 2023.
0: We're going to be spending more time with our families, um, yeah. as all as all good politicians say, before they get unceremoniously fired. <laughs> <laughs> so that's us. Um, while we're doing that, our Patreon will be on hold,
2: uh, so we won't be taking donations. But if you want to go and join uh, up, the link is as usual in the summary. and And still, go and share this. Go and give us a rating. Let people know about one of 200. We'll still have articles up. We'll still be doing uh, things on social media. Uh, so we'll, we'll still be around. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: The Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass up full The relentless routines Dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism. You don't hate